Hey, Inform Nation, thanks for joining us once again here for episode number 22 of the Inform Fitness Podcast, 20 Minutes with New York Times bestselling author Adam Zickerman and Friends. I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network and a client of Inform Fitness. And after some time off, excited to finally get back behind the mic once again with our team. Let's start with Sheila Melody, the co-owner and general manager of the Burbank location. Sheila, nice to see you again. Hey, Tim. Great to be back with everybody again. Yeah, it's been a while. And the rest of our team, as always, still joining us via Skype from the Manhattan location in New York City, headquarters for the Inform Fitness Empire, general manager Mike Rogers, and the founder of Inform Fitness, Adam Zickerman. What's up, gents? Good to see you again. Hey, guys. Hey. All is good. Adam, in your book, Power of Ten, the once-a-week slow-motion fitness revolution, you describe the three pillars necessary to achieve maximum success with a slow-motion, high-intensity strength training system. For those that are just joining us for the first time, Adam, please remind us of those three pillars. Exercise, rest, and nutrition. And nutrition. We spent a lot of time on this podcast discussing Pillar 1 exercise. And our special guest today, also joining us via Skype, will allow us to dive deeper into Pillar number 2, as you just mentioned, Adam, is nutrition. We're pleased to welcome our guest who has a PhD in biochemistry and is the author of The Secret Life of Fat, Dr. Sylvia Tara. Glad to have you with us today. Great. Thank you. It's, it's terrific to be here. And all four of us have spent the last couple of weeks digesting this book, uh, I, th- I think Adam and Mike read the book. Sheila and I, we listened to the book via Audible, right? Yeah. Uh, and it really helped us all change the way we look at fat, which I know is is the point of the whole thing. But before we get started, Adam, I know that you were the one who introduced this topic to the team here. What is it, Adam, that made you want to bring Sylvia on to, to discuss The Secret Life of Fat? Well, it was back in 2007 that I read this uh, Scientific American article uh, that was called, uh, if I remember correctly, What Fuels Fat? And it was then when I saw that Scientific American article that I was realized that I realized how complicated fat is and how complex it is. And it was the first time that somebody referred to fat as an organ. Mm. And then uh, recently, I'm listening to NPR, and there is Dr. Tara talking about this book, which I thought the title was amazing, The Secret Life of Fat, and it reminded me of back in 2010 years ago about this article I read in Scientific American. I was like, oh my God, I forgot all about that. I got I to gotta get this book and, and, and read it. And you did such a great job, Dr. Tara, as far as breaking down such a complex subject and making us understand, quite honestly, how difficult it is to uh, understand fat and, and, and you know, we're in a personal training business and a high-intensity exercise business and Half, you know, all of our clients, most of them are, are struggling with fat loss. And I thought maybe we can uh, use your book to, to prompt conversation and, and to be honest with our clients and kind of basically tell them what the facts are, about what, what to expect when it comes to battling the bulge. So what, the, what they're up against. <laughs> what they're up against. Yeah, exactly. no, that's, that's a great idea. And that's also why I decided to go and do all this research is I'm one of those people that has a lot of trouble managing weight. I always gain weight very easily. Even as a child, I packed on pounds much easier than my friends who ate candy and ice cream all day long. And as I got older, it just got worse. And some of my old tricks stopped working. I had all these tricks in my 20s that I could take weight off pretty pretty quickly if I had to. But then after having two kids, you know, after launching a career and getting very busy, being stretched and traveling, 
my old tricks weren't working anymore. And I went on a number of diets. Um, there's always this new diet. And I tried you know, a, a number of them every year. And sometimes they would work. They'd work temporarily. Um, sometimes I could even gain weight on some of these diets. And I work with personal trainers too. And you know, they're all really uh, you know, just imbued in their dogma. They have a certain philosophy they follow. And one of them is you have to eat enough calories to lose weight. And they were always stunned at how little I actually had to eat. And even then, I wasn't skinny. So I was about to go on, on yet another diet. I think it was paleo was all the rage. And I'm saying, okay, let me try this. And then I started reading about it, just how complicated it was. And I thought, you know, forget it. Forget <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. And I said, before I go on even one more diet, I am going to understand everything there is to know about fat. I'm a biochemist by training. And if anyone can understand fat, I can. And so I just took, you know, I read everything. I think I pulled over a thousand articles out of the scientific literature. I read them all. And I talked to over 50 thought leaders, leading researchers around the world about this. They're cutting edge research on fat. And what I was finding out was just so interesting, so astounding. It turned out that fat isn't anything I thought it was. It's not just a reserve of calories. It's not just holding, you know, energy waiting for us to use it. It has a whole life of its own underneath there. Uh, it, it can fight back when we try to lose it. It controls our thoughts about food. Mm -hmm. It controls metabolism. It can divert blood supply to itself. It's doing all these really strange things. It's as if it's another person inside you. And if you're not equipped, if you don't understand what fat really is, you're just about bound to just keep going on diets and regaining and regaining. And the diet industry tends to make you think you're doing something wrong. You know, if this diet doesn't work for you, uh, it's really simple to follow, and then it's your fault. Surely you're not staying on it. Surely you're not being adherent. And that's not the case. And having people feel that guilt isn't helping them. It's causing frustration. Then it's leading to binging, and it's leading to de you know depressed feelings and things like that. So I think once we just educate ourselves on fat, what it is exactly, why it's so hard to lose, the better equipped we are to stay very persistent. And so knowledge is power. And in this case in particular, I think just having that knowledge helped me stay on something. It also helped me not just follow siren songs, like what's the new diet fad of the year? Let me try that. It's like, no, I got it. I know it works for me now. I could tailor my own diet. Um, I really just felt empowered. And hopefully some of that is, is what I'm trying to do with people. You don't have to follow my diet that worked for me. And I did something pretty extreme in, in, in my own experience to get to get off weight. But you can tailor something to work for you depending on what you need psychologically, biologically, and, and for your lifestyle as well. That's a great uh, introduction. And so while we're talking about your quest to find out exactly what fat is, why don't you explain what exactly is fat and why is it called an organ? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, fat, the way we think of it is this blubber. It's this excess greasy yellow stuff. And mm -hmm. it, you know, it's funny because I have this plastic model of fat. And when I show it to people, <laughs> their, their first reaction is like, ew, you know, yuck. Yeah. This is disgusting. <laughs> and, and so we, we just have this whole image of, of what it is. But it, it's doing so much more than just sitting there as this greasy yellow substance. It actually produces hormones that our body depends on. And these are hormones mostly only produced by fat. And so you can think of fat as not just a reserve of calories. It's almost like it's an endocrine organ. It's like your you know, adrenal cortex. It's like your thyroid gland. It's like any other endocrine organ we have. And one of these hormones is leptin. And leptin has vast influence all over our body. I mean, you'd be shocked at how much we depend on our fat for this hormone. Our brain size is linked to healthy fat right? Our brain size and the way we think, uh, cognitive abilities even, is linked to an adequate supply of leptin, which comes from fat. Um, our reproductive organs, particularly in women, right? If we get too low levels of fat or if we have defective fat that's not producing leptin, we can't reproduce. 
Uh, and then there's, you know, bones. Actually, bone strength is, is reliant on uh, fat as well. Even wound healing. This was really interesting is that leptin binds mm. within our veins. And so people who have, you know, if they have anorexia or, again, you know, defective fat, they don't, they don't heal as quickly. And so we're just at the tip of this. I, th I think now, mm -hmm. you know, leptin it, like, was really in the 90s where this came out. And we're just discovering more and more how important it is in our body and how much we're dependent on our fat for good health. Um, you know, then one of the things, too, is that leptin, because it does control uh, our mind to some extent, and it controls appetite, when we lose a lot of fat, like, say, 10% of our body weight, it has a big effect on us. It actually, our appetite will go through the roof. So leptin is released from fat cells. It goes into the blood, and it binds to the hypothalamus region of our brain, and there's an appetite center there. So with lower levels of leptin after losing quite a bit of weight, we actually get very, very hungry. We're driven to eat. And so our fat, in a way, is controlling itself. It's driving us to, to come back. Um, it also will lower our metabolism. And so, uh, you know, like skeletal muscle uh, or uh, during exercise, 25% uh, fewer, fewer calories is, is what we'll end up uh, using and 15% fewer during rest. And so overall, you need 22% fewer calories after you've lost about 10% of your weight or more compared to someone who's never lost weight. So to make that a little clearer for people, if someone's 150 pounds and they've been at that weight naturally, you know, for a good part of their life, uh, compared to someone who's lost 20 pounds, who was 170 pounds and lost 20 pounds to get to 150 pounds, the person who's lost weight to get to 150 will have to eat 22% fewer calories than someone who is naturally there. And that's because the effect of lowering leptin and the reduction in metabolism we get. So a diet's not just for six months, right? This effect I just talked about, the higher appetite, lower metabolism, it's been studied for six years. And it's been seen to last for six years. I think it even lasts longer. I've talked to some people who've lost weight they so they still feel like this. They still have to eat a lot less. So don't pick a diet for six months. Pick a diet you're going to stay on for years and years that you like. It works with you. It works with your lifestyle. It works with what you like to eat. And it's having an effect. It's helping you lose weight. And just, you know, just knowing that, I think, has helped people a lot. I know my editor, when he read my manuscript for the book, he actually lost 15 pounds because he kind of <laughs> understood fat. He, un right. he knew what was going on. He understood why he was hungry at night and all these other things, you know, the biochemically what fat was doing. And it just helped us all persist a little bit more. Dr. Tara, for our audience, uh, of course, they're listening to the Informed Fitness Podcast because they participate with this high-intensity strength training system uh, through Power of 10. Let's talk about exercise for a minute and tell us how fat is affected with high-intensity strength training like we do at Informed Fitness. There's, there's a bunch of things. So you know, what we can do really you know, to get smarter about fat and how we manage it is one thing not just to understand it and be able to persist for long periods of time because we now understand fat. But you can start using hormones to your advantage. You know, one hormone that's been talked about all the time is insulin. Lots of books on insulin and fat and making sure we have low sugar and we're not provoking too much insulin because insulin helps store calories into fat tissue. And that's all good and fine. Um, two other hormones to know about. One is growth hormone, right? That's a great fat-burning hormone. And uh, we get less of it. We have less of it as we age. And so uh, one thing is that it, it peaks at night. And so what you can do is extend that overnight fasting you know, part, uh, and that will actually extend the release of growth hormone, really important as we age. Testosterone is another great fat-burning hormone, and that also decreases as we age. Now, high-intensity uh, interval training is good for a number of things. You know, one is that it, it is you know, associated, exercise in general is associated with release of growth hormone and testosterone. So some strength-building exercise is good for growth hormone and testosterone. And then even jogging is good for growth hormone. But then adiponectin is another hormone fat releases, right? And this is, this is a hormone made by fat. 
and it actually helps clear our blood of triglycerides, right, and put put fat, uh, circulating fat into fat tissue where it belongs. High-intensity interval training three times a week um, is associated with some of this, some of these hormones as well, and it decreases visceral fat. And so what, how I think of it is that, you know, you're really affecting your hormones when you do HIT. Right, you're you're increasing, um, you know, some of these fat-busting hormones. You're you're helping get adiponectin, and you're reducing your visceral fat. And so, it's one of the things uh, I think one of the reasons it works really well. Because when you think about, it, you're not exercising for long. You're doing it mm-hmm. for a short period of time, but extremely intensely, and that's affecting your hormones and how your body's reacting to it. And it's a great trick, I think, to just help remove stubborn fat. I was so inspired by your book, Dr. Tara, because I totally related to your personal story. And I'm, you know, middle age and it's, I'm suddenly going, what in the hell is going on here? And so it was really nice to, and even being in the fitness business, being a personal trainer, being involved in all this for my entire life, basically. So I'm, it, I was very encouraged uh, by your story to make some changes and to understand why you want to add certain exercises in. At, you know, the diet thing is one is one thing, but for me, what was a real aha moment was when you described how, why you would exercise. You know, the hormones are listening to, your fat is listening to you. So how, can you talk a little bit more about how your fat listens to you and the messages you send to it? It's way more important than just the calories you're going to burn by doing that cardio or whatever exercise you're doing. Yeah, that's exactly right. So your fat can talk and it can listen. (laughs) So, you know, it talks by sending out hormones. It can talk to your brain and tell you how to think about food and it can talk to your muscles and have it lower metabolism. So it's, it's a way of communicating and a lot of different organs in our body will, will emit hormones and it has a whole communication inside that system inside that you've never even considered and thought about. So it can talk by releasing leptin, adiponectin, and even other hormones. It can also listen our fat. It can listen to other hormones coming from other organs. And so it has receptors for estrogen and testosterone on them and a number of other receptors too. So when other parts of our body start releasing you know, those hormones, our fat grabs it. It listens to it. It has ears, if you will. And those hormones will tell fat what to do. So testosterone will help fat liquidate itself. Uh, even estrogen, you will. Growth hormones certainly will. And so when we're exercising, we're changing the communication signals in our body mm-hmm. in a number of ways. I mean, not only is our fat listening, but our muscles, our bones, we have a lot of different communication between these different organs. And so I think that's the, the smart way to fat, fight fat. Calories do matter. I, I don't, wouldn't say they don't. But more importantly is, is what are you doing with your hormone levels? And very small changes can actually have a pretty good effect. And that's shown. I do a you know a little writing about uh, hormone replacement therapy, which mm-hmm. is is really you know big here, especially in California, and it works wonders for people. And I don't, I'm not ready for that yet. I wasn't ready to get external hormones injected in, but I, I did really work hard at ways to naturally increase some of these hormones that decline with age, including you know, growth hormone and testosterone in particular, and adiponectin. You know, just releasing that from fat. And he did bring up women, and women in particular, uh, we battle fat much more. And I don't think there's a single woman in the world who wouldn't agree that men have an easier time losing yeah. weight than women do. <laughs> That's the other thing I got from this book. I was like, oh, my God, you know, it's true. And it's just the hard truth, though. It's it's what the way it is. And understanding that helps us to yeah. – and what about the even the way that we eat and – the nutrition partitioning, nutrition partitioning, nutrition partitioning. Yeah, yeah. and and also the if you could speak a little bit about the um, 
the cardio, you know, when you said women exercise and when it goes over mm-hmm. beyond four to 600 calories, how it's different between uh, men and women. Yep, sure. So you just to make everyone feel better, women are fatter, we think, even in utero compared to when they're like, <laughs> oh, like, the time they exist. <laughs> girl babies have more fat than boy babies. And that's it's the most, you know, single best predictor is gender when it comes to fat in infants. It's not age, it's not length, you know, none of those things. It's gender. So many reasons for why women do uh, gain more weight than men, but we go through a few of them. One is nutri- nutrient partitioning. So when we eat something, say like 100 calories or so, we'll actually partition more of those nutrients into fat compared to what men will do. So just as an example, you know, if we eat 100 calories, we'll put about 30 calories, say, you know, just as an example, compared to men who might put, you know, 15 calories of those into their fat compared to their lean tissue. So we put more in. So women actually utilize their fat differently as well. So after a time of energy depletion, like after an overnight fast, after we've slept for a long time, or after we've exercised intensely and we've depleted some energy, women's bodies will reach for fat as a source of energy, whereas men will reach more for glycogen and for protein. And you would think this was a great thing because we're using our fat and we're going to lose all this weight now. Um, the issue is that after we've replenished and after, you know, after this moment of energy depletion, we're actually storing fat more efficiently than men, two to three times more efficiently than men do. So for the one hour we're exercising or whatever, yeah, we're burning more, more fat off. But the rest of the day, we're packing more fat away. So, so actually, there's some good news for women in all of this, that even though we tend to be a little softer, uh, you know, a little bit fatter than men, the good part is, is that we are clearing those triglycerides out of our blood and putting it into subcutaneous fat tissue where it belongs. So subcutaneous fat tissue is that tissue right underneath our skin, right, compared to visceral fat, which is fat underneath the stomach wall, which is less healthy. Women are very good at clearing triglycerides, fats, out of our blood, putting it into subcutaneous fat. And that keeps us... Yeah, more safe from cardio, uh, cardiovascular disease, from metabolic issues that tend to run a little bit higher in men. Men actually are not as efficient at this as this, and it's one of the reasons why they have more visceral fat and a little bit more cardiac disease as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just take some solace in that. Although we're softer, we don't fit into genes as well. Mm-hmm. We can't eat as much. We're, overall, our bodies are doing what it's supposed to do, which is putting fat in our blood and, put, and storing it into safe deposits where it belongs. So when we burn off, say, around 600 calories, so a really good bout of exercise, we release more ghrelin, 33% more ghrelin than men do. And ghrelin is a hunger hormone that comes out of the stomach. And so we are, you know, we respond more to exercise. And then it also leads to more compensation. If you, you know, put a buffet in front of us <laughs> after we've done that exercise, we'll eat more than men do. And the interesting part is even after we eat more, we still have 25% higher ghrelin. And so that's a lesson learned for women, I think. Either, you know, keep the exercise a little bit more moderate or really distract yourself after you exercise. You know, go watch TV or go shopping. In fact, go shopping for jeans and you'll see how much you don't want to eat. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but do something. Just be aware that, you know, you're, gonna, you're hungrier and you have to really control the reaction to want to fill yourself and up does after it pass? you exercise. Does it pass after a certain amount of time? You or? know, I, I haven't seen research on it. I can tell you my experience, no, I'll, it'll be all day. Oh, and what I've learned to do, my own little trick is I, I exercise at night. So I'll exercise around, you know, between seven, even up to 10 o'clock. And I'll just go to bed just so that and I, if I sleep on it, then it does disappear. I'm not as hungry the next okay. day as I am during the day. Dr. Tara, to change the subject a little bit, because there's so much in your book that, that you know, you touch on. And one of the most fascinating things about uh, fat and how we retain fat 
is this biome in our in our stomachs, uh, and, and it turns out, as you as you say, you know, people have different biomes in their stomach, and depending upon their uh, bacterial content, if you will, the types of bacteria that make up their biome. Uh, that will depend on whether you're obese or not, or whether you're thin or not. Yeah, that's a really interesting field and a quickly changing field. I feel like they're learning new things all the time. You know, the the thinking, the standard thinking was if you have, you know, a higher proportion of Formicutes phyla in your gut compared to Bacteroidetes phyla, that those people tended to extract more calories out of food. They tended to be heavier. And it's a cycle. So what we eat also affects the bacteria we have. So people who were eating higher fats, higher carbohydrates, they were having, you know, that the type of phyla associated more with extracting uh, calories and having, you know, heavier body type. Um, and then people who were eating more fruits and vegetables had a different phyla, and they had more diversity. And so I think what they're what they're seeing now is there, there's a little bit of movement away from that kind of thinking of, of Formicutes versus Bacteroidetes, and more thinking about diversity in our gut. People who have higher diversity of bacteria tend to have a leaner body type. And it's all really interesting because uh, another observation is that the bacteria we have in our gut, it tends to run in families, right? And so they're, they're wondering mm. if this is how obesity is growing because, you know, once somebody has some of these bacteria that, that are associated with a thicker body type, is it spreading to children? Is it having something to do with childhood obesity? Yeah, and, and this is moving. And so there, there are things we can do, though. I mean, one is, is what I just said is when you eat more fruits and vegetables – it's tougher to digest those. So, so one way that bacteria work is that it helps us digest foods that our normal body could not. So things like polysaccharides, you know, fibrous foods and plants, um, it helps turn all those starches into glucose, something we can easily absorb. Um, it also helps, you know, with fat storage as well. And so the more we're giving our microbiome a run for the money, um, you know, really nice, tough salads and things like that, more is passing into waste than would be getting absorbed into our gut. And so, you know, also just keeping your gut healthy, I think some of these prebiotics, you know, like artichokes, bananas, legumes, it's supposed to keep a nice, you know, gut lining, a healthy mucus lining that also fosters a good uh, diversity of bacteria. So there's just, you know, there's a lot of, now there's diet books on this, you know, field alone, but, but it is a quickly changing field scientifically. But, you know, I think the best advice we can take from it right now is uh, just, you know, try to eat more fruits and vegetables. It's very trite advice. I, I'm aware of that, um, you know. But part of it is I just want to, to understand, like, how the microbiome was working. And it, it's viruses, too, that have an effect. And I do write about, you know, being able to catch fat in a way. There's some viruses associated with higher, with higher um, you know, uh, higher weight gain and, and obesity. And I write about that pretty much at length in the book. But I think, you know, there's, it's not all bad news. We just have to work harder. So if you have, you know, a microbiome that's tilted towards gaining weight, you will have to work harder. You'll have to eat a little less. You'll have to eat more salads versus more fats and high carbohydrates. If you have the virus, I mean, that's, that's tough too. And I write about one patient who did have the virus and he gained weight excessively easily. And he just has to eat less and it's harder for him. He'll eat about 1200 calories a day and he's six foot one, right? He's, he's a big guy. Um, it's, it's just the way it is. And I think, you know, part of what I want to do in my book is let's just face facts. Let's not pretend this is easy. Let's not say, you know, the simple diet mm -hmm. of one, two, three, and you'll lose weight. For some of us, it's just harder and at least know why it is harder. And then there's some small tweaks you can make 
that'll that'll help you fight your fat in a more smart in a smarter way. Well, Dr. Tara, I got to tell you, one of the many things that I enjoyed about your book is how you not only provided all of us with a, a very detailed science lesson regarding fat, but how you describe both the harm fat can cause and its usefulness in the form of the patient stories, one of which you just referred to right now. So uh, it's it's a it's a great read. Uh, it's very informative. I think it's changed the four of our lives and how we we look at fat, and we'll do the same thing for our audience as well too. I know we're short on time, but I do want to, if we can, add one more element is you mentioned genetics. We're all victims of our own genetics, but exercise can help us fight what we've inherited negatively through our genetics. That's right. And so for genetics, what they do find is that exercise can attenuate some of the effect of these genetics. So, um, you know, if you, if you increase uh, exercise by six times or more over resting metabolism, which is achieved by running four to six miles an hour or cycling about 12 to 16 miles per hour, it actually attenuates some of the effect of those genes. It's like even at the, some point, your genes have to give up and just give in and admit that you're really, you know, you're using a lot of energy and, and it can't hold on anymore. So again, it's one of these instances where we just have to work a little bit harder. There's one gene, uh, FTO, that actually causes uh, a higher desire to eat energy dense foods, so things like you know cookies and brownies. And with kids who have this variation, when they test them, they let them go to a buffet and compare them to normal kids who don't have this FTO variation. They found that kids with the FTO variation, uh, they actually will load up much more on things like chips and cookies compared to the other kids. So it affects appetite as well. Mm. And so, you know, it still gets down to the things that we can do. And that includes food, includes eating smart, it includes eating for your hormones, exercising for your hormones, just being a little smarter about it. Don't quite think of it as calorie in, calorie out. There's certain times of the day that you can eat or not eat that'll help you, you know, release more growth hormone, more of those fat-busting hormones. Certain types of things you can eat that will affect your hormones. And, and I'm not just talking about insulin, but growth hormone and testosterone too. So think very holistically about it. There are some treatments coming out in the future that I'm hopeful will help people lose weight. You know, one is leptin injections, if that will ever get approved. Mm. So as I said, we lose leptin when we lose fat. And one study done is they actually inject leptin back into people who've lost 10% of their weight or more. And they find that their metabolism improves and their, their quest to eat is not as strong anymore. Mm. So it helps them maintain the slower weight. But that's way off in the future, I'm sorry to say. I mean, that's going to be another 10 years minimum before that would ever reach you know, consumers. So, And there's other things, too. There's injecting brown fat. You know, Brown fat's the type of fat that will actually burn calories versus white fat, which was main function is to store. And that's also you know, far into the future. And so in the meantime, what we can do uh, is just be smart. Customize a diet that works for you. Just you know, really keep a log of what you eat and when and what type of food it is. And then weigh yourself every day. And you'll start to see where the correlation is. Everybody is really different. And in The Secret Life of Fat, I write about this research from Israel, actually, where they've studied you know, a large number of people, and they, they look at their blood sugar after they eat various foods. And what they notice is some people can eat chocolate. You know, They can have alcohol, and they don't get a blood sugar spike. Other people can't. They, they, they react, and, and so they're storing more fat as well because a blood sugar spike will lead to insulin that will help store all of that into fat. So we're all really different. You know, it varies based on a lot of things that we talked about, the genetics, the microbiome, gender, you know, et cetera. And so some things will work for you that don't, you know, work for your neighbor and vice versa. 
So just be very attentive. Just watch uh, what you can eat uh, versus can't. I know there's some things I, I can't believe I can get away with. Everyone will tell me I'm crazy for eating this, but it doesn't make me gain weight. I can have small amounts of chocolate in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad happens to me, thank God, because I can't really live without it. <laughs> you just made a lot but, of people mad, Dr. Tara. <laughs> Hallelujah. But, and happy. And happy. And happy. Yeah, that's true. So, so, <laughs> you know, a half full mentality. They'll have to troubleshoot for themselves. I, yeah, I have one last, right. quick question, uh, Sylvia. Okay. Um, you know, we talked about nutrition and we've talked about fitness. And uh, you know the troubleshooting processes, or you know, with uh, regulation uh, of your fat to either gain or to lose. I, and I know you, you mentioned in your book a little bit, but uh, about cortisol and stress management, and what we know about as far as weight gain or weight loss. Because I know we have a lot of clients who, under stressful times of their life, and we're not sure if the correlation is directly related to that or, or other things or whatever, but I've seen people gain a lot of weight or lose a lot of weight as a result of stress. Yeah, so I know there's news about cortisol. I actually think maybe too much is made out of cortisol. Cortisol has a link to abdominal fat. So when we're stressed out, we have more cortisol, which is linked to some amounts of fat. I think more the issue is how we psychologically react to stress. So being on a diet, you know, maintaining a good healthy regimen, it actually takes an application of willpower. And when people have stress in their lives, like even during the recession, right, or, or a bad economic time, or they lose a job or going through the divorce, they are less able to stay with something else that requires stress. It's like all the stress is being focused on this one event, and they can't, can't absorb more. So in a way, uh, our willpower is like a muscle, and it can be depleted. In fact, in the, in the recession that we had, you know, more recently in around 2008, candy sales soared. Right. So people just they didn't feel like being on a diet. They just want to indulge. They're stressed mm-hmm. out. They don't. So so I think psychological factors really are more of it than than even cortisol. And those are things that are important to know because we never get rid of stress in our lives. I mean, I get stressed out just sitting in traffic. There's stress all around us. And so one thing is if you're going through a, a you know, really stressful time, it's not a great time to start a diet, honestly. And you'll mm-hmm. just feel like a failure if you do try because it gets hard. Um, you know, the, the, so, so choose a diet at the right time and then manage to stay on it. Two things important to know when you're staying on diet and really giving it a good effort is that you actually need to reward yourself. Our willpower gets depleted at times, and they find that hospital workers who are told to wash their hands all day, towards the end of the day, they'll just stop. They just don't feel like doing it. But if they give them longer breaks between their shifts, they'll continue to wash their hands during the day. So there's something around you know being depleted, feeling like you've had enough of a break in between that you can you can stay on a regimen. So so give yourself a break either by going off your diet every once in a while um, or going off and doing something fun. But make sure you're engineering in some happiness. Uh, you know another study I talk about is people they have them hold a hand exerciser for yeah. a long time, a hand gripper. And they, they divide them into two. They have one watch a sad movie for a while, another go watch a happy movie. And then they give them the hand exerciser back, the hand gripper back. And they find people who've watched the happy movie can stick with that hand gripper a long time. So, like, scientifically, you actually need to recharge. You need to come off and have some fun. The important thing is to get right back on. And this is where dichotomous thinking can come on. So people, sometimes when they go off a diet, they go down this slippery slope where they can't get back on. Like, I've had ice cream. I have completely failed. Right. And now I'm just going to go off. It doesn't matter. And it's called dichotomous thinking. And people who have that problem actually are more prone to depression. They're more prone to eating disorder. It's a really bad thing to have. And women have it much more than men do. And I've, I've read about that in studies. Add that to the list. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, so the, the self-love element is really important. And I think, you know, 
it, it's funny because I write about in the book, there was one researcher from Mayo who said that women get something out of food that men don't. When men come off their diet, they're like, yeah, I had a beer, so what? You know, I'm going to get back on. And, and women will be like, well, you know, I just I had all these problems and I, you know, I, I, I gave up and I feel really badly now. And the, the successful weight coaches or weight loss coaches will actually, they're very good at coaching people back on. So if you can do that for yourself, you'll have so much more success than if you just beat yourself up every time you come off. You're going to have to come off. You can't stay on. You need you need to recharge yourself and then be forgiving. You know, you came off, but you had a hundred, you know, whatever, 30 great days ahead of that. And now you're just going to have another 30 great days, you know, going forward. Mm-hmm. So tons of advice in the book. And as you can see from all my talking, <laughs> there's a lot of research in it, well, a lot of points to know. The book is A Secret Life of Fat. It brings together cutting-edge research with historical perspectives to reveal fat's true identity. And in this episode, like you just said, we just scratched the surface of all right. of the valuable information contained in this book, which is available at Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Audible, and other locations as well. Dr. Sylvia Terra, thanks so much for joining us here at the Inform Fitness Podcast. We certainly wish you the best of luck with your book and uh, really appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. We'll include links in the show notes to Dr. Sylvia Terra's book, The Secret Life of Fat. Just scroll down past the description in your podcast app and you'll find links to purchase the hard copy of her book in Amazon. Or if you're like me and you like to listen to your books, we'll have a link to the book in Audible. You'll also find a link to pick up Adam's book, Power of 10, the once-a-week slow-motion fitness revolution. Included in Adam's book are several exercises that support this protocol that you can actually perform on your own if you don't happen to live near an informed fitness location. For those that do live in Manhattan, Port Washington, Denville, Burbank, Boulder, Leesburg, and Reston, good news. There's an Inform Fitness near you. Pop on over to informfitness.com to get a glimpse of each location. Better yet, set up a consultation to begin your own journey with the power of 10. Be sure to join us again next week because Adam has a confession he would like to make to all of us who are part of Inform Nation. I'll tell you this much. It's something that he's been struggling with most of his life and something that a lot of us might have in common with him. And to guarantee that you don't accidentally miss an upcoming episode of the Inform Fitness Podcast, just subscribe. It's very simple. Hit the subscribe button, and every single Monday morning, we'll have a new episode waiting for you. For Sheila Melody, Mike Rogers, and Adam Zickerman of Inform Fitness, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network.